Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Monday of the 33rd week in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and and to you, my brothers and sisters, that that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant us, we pray, O Lord our God, the constant gladness of being devoted to you. For it is full and lasting happiness to serve with constancy the author of all that is good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the Apocalypse. This is the revelation given by God to Jesus Christ so that he could tell his servants about the things which are now to take place very soon. He sent his angel to make it known to his servant John. And John has written down everything he saw and swears it is the word of God guaranteed by Jesus Christ. Happy the man who reads this prophecy and happy those who listen to him if they treasure all that it says, because the time is close. From John to the seven churches of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits in his presence before the throne. I heard the Lord saying to me, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus and say, He is the message of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who lives surrounded by the seven golden lampstands. I know all about you, how hard you work and how much you put up with. I know you cannot stand wicked men and how you tested the impostors who called themselves apostles and proved they were liars. Know, too, that you have patience and have suffered for my name without growing tired. Nevertheless, I have this complaint to make. You have less love now than you used to. Think where you were before you fell. Repent and do as you used to at first. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Those who are victorious I will feed from the tree of life. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. Happy indeed is the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked, nor lingers in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of scorners, but whose delight is the law of the Lord, and who ponders his law day and night. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. He is like a tree that is planted beside the flowing waters, that yields its fruit in due season and whose leaves shall never fade, and all that he does shall prosper. Those who are victorious, I will feed from the tree of life. Not so are the wicked, not so, 
for they, like winter chaff, shall be driven away by the wind. For the Lord guards the way of the just, but the way of the wicked leads to doom. Those who are victorious I will feed from the tree of life. Alleluia, alleluia. I am the light of the world, says the Lord. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, there was a blind man sitting at the side of the road, begging. When he heard the crowd going past, he asked what it was all about, and they told him that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. The people in front scolded him and told him to keep quiet, but he shouted all the louder, Son of David, have pity on me. Jesus stopped and ordered them to bring the man to him. And when he came up, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Sir, he replied, Let me see again. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. And instantly his sight returned, and he followed him, praising God, And all the people who saw it gave praise to God for what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, first off, little Corona of Thorns announcement. Given that uh, our states are gratefully, and thank God, coming out of lockdown and uh, churches are opening again, we're going to shift Corona of Thorns from being a daily podcast to being on Sundays only. We'll keep it up till the end of the liturgical year. Um, So with the first Sunday of Advent, we'll just be switching to the Sunday podcast alone. So barring anything unforeseen, we've got two weeks left of daily podcasts. Um, And I know I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret this. But for the next two weeks, we've actually got a consistent reading of the book of the Apocalypse, the book of Revelations. And uh, I thought maybe it'd be worthwhile um, putting our focus on it. Now, I don't want to do a Bible study. Um, I I think that's a little bit too boring. It'll keep uh, a homiletic style. Um, So I'll I'll try and bring it back to, you know, relevance to our spiritual lives and our everyday lives. Um, But maybe if we take as our focus the first readings, um, it might prove fruitful. Because, you know, at this time, um, as we're coming to the end of the liturgical year, the church really puts before us the importance of the end times. And that's coupled not only with the um, readings from the book of Revelations, but also we'll notice in the Gospels that Jesus takes a real kind of apocalyptic turn, you know, turning towards the end times. But here's the thing. All of this focus on the end times is not simply of relevance to those who happen to live in the end times. You know, it's it's not like these passages are sitting in the scriptures just waiting for that last generation to read it because it's only relevant to them. No, no, no. The importance of the end times actually comes to shape the way that we live our lives today. And so the book of Revelations is for everyone and it's for us right now. Always has been. And I think that tells us something of the genre of apocalyptic literature. The style of apocalypse, the style of, you know, the book of Revelations and and that kind of genre in the scriptures, 
um, it it points towards the transcendent world, right? Um, in apocalyptic literature, like someone from Earth gets caught up into heaven and sees heavenly visions and, you know, is brought up there by, you know, a heavenly body. So, like, you know, usually an angel will come and draw the seer up into heaven. And what is shown in heaven is kind of like true reality. The transcendent world is the one that is most real. And the battle that happens between heaven and hell, between the armies of good and evil, like, that's the real battle that's happening, and it's reflected here on Earth. We see the effects of this heavenly battle going on in our world, but that's the real thing. Uh, and so you can kind of see this crossover point then between the book of Revelations, between apocalyptic literature, and the way in which we live today. The battle is really being waged in heaven, but we can see its effects here on Earth. It shouldn't be a surprise then that apocalyptic literature becomes incredibly important during times of persecution and is usually written during times of persecution, right? You're suffering at the hands of the Romans. You're suffering at the hands of the Greek. You're suffering at the hands of pagans. But you know what? All of that is just a reflection of the real battle that's going on between good and evil, and you're caught up in it. Now, the book of Revelation is likely composed during the reign of the Emperor Diocletian. So after Nero and the beginning of the persecution of the Christians, Diocletian is one of those emperors who really puts the screws to the Christians. So they're obviously going through a pretty tough patch. But the logic of apocalyptic literature refocuses the question. You think you're battling the Romans? You think you're the one who's in the fight? No, no, no. It's God who's in the fight. And his angels are battling against the forces of the devil. Now, apocalyptic literature has got a narrative form, which means that, you know, it takes the form of a story, but a deeply symbolic story. It's not like a news article where this happened, this happened, this happened, and everything's written in a simple, clear language. No, because it's deeply symbolic, it draws on a lot of imagery from the Old Testament and then asks to be interpreted in the light of that imagery. So things like numbers and animals and objects are going to have a meaning that goes beyond what is simply described. And the thing is, sometimes what's simply described is kind of weird. <laughs> so, you know, we need to take that symbolism and then interpret it in the light of a biblical worldview. So we're going to try and do a little bit of that. Now, the first reading which we have today begins with the first four verses from the book of the Apocalypse, which kind of sets the scene. We hear that John, now customarily that's understood to be the Apostle John, uh, is taken by an angel, is taken up into heaven. And then we jump forward to the beginning of the second chapter. Now, what happens at the beginning of the book of Revelation is that John, having this vision of heaven, now starts to take down a letter that comes from Jesus to seven churches in Asia Minor. These are the church communities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. 
Uh, the one that's probably familiar to us is Ephesus because of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But why seven? You know, we're going to see seven come up in the book of Revelations over and over and over again. Um, and seven, it's a number that refers to fullness, fulfillment, completion. Just like the week is fulfilled in the seventh day in the Sabbath, well, so too, the number seven, it represents fullness and perfection. Now, just as a quick aside, six is going to represent imperfection, a kind of parody of this fullness. And so, you know, later on we'll find out the number of the beast, six, 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 imperfect, imperfect, imperfect. Uh, it gives you a little bit of a sense of the kind of symbolism that goes on in the book of Revelation. But anyway, we get seven letters to seven churches. And today we hear about the letter to the church in Ephesus. So Jesus has this to say, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus and say this, Here's the message of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who lives surrounded by the seven golden lampstands. Okay, there you go, sevens and sevens, right? Um, and the golden lampstands is referring to these seven churches to which letters are addressed. So from Jesus, who is in amongst these churches. I know all about you, how hard you work and how much you put up with. I know you cannot stand wicked men and how you tested the imposters who called themselves apostles and proved they were liars. All right, good on you, Ephesus. You're kicking goals. Now, Ephesus uh, was a big town. Um, in fact, it's probably the preeminent town in amongst the seven churches to which these letters are written. And in Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world, the Artemisium, a pagan temple to Artemis. Now, this temple was largely taken over for the emperor's cult. Now, with Caesar Augustus, especially, the, you know, the one who was Caesar during the birth of Jesus, um, he really promoted himself as being a quasi-divine figure. And one of the things that would hold Rome together would be the worship of the emperor. And this Artemisium, this temple of Artemis, was largely taken over for emperor worship in Ephesus. Now, you can imagine what that means. If you're unwilling to sacrifice to the pagan emperor then you're setting yourself up in opposition to him. This cult was there in order to be the glue that bound together the Roman Empire. And here are these terrible Christians not cooperating. And so Jesus continues to say to the Ephesians, I know too that you have patience and have suffered for my name without growing tired. It's all good so far. You know, the Ephesians haven't fallen into bizarre compromises with the pagan gods and with offering sacrifice to the Roman emperor. No, they've patiently suffered. And yet, Jesus continues, I have this complaint to make. You have less love now than you used to. Think where you were before you fell. Repent, and do as you used to at first. So I reckon we can picture what's going on, right? We've got this Artemisium going on in Ephesus, you know, all sorts of sacrifices going on to the Roman emperor. And it looks like the Christians in Ephesus, you know, they're, they're tough. They're holding strong. And while their problem isn't unfaithfulness, their problem seems to be a lack of love, or at least less love than at the start. 
Now, I wonder if that's a criticism that Jesus could rightly make of you or me. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I think this one stings me a little bit. If we read between the lines, what can we imagine the Ephesians are doing? They've become so focused on the persecution and on remaining faithful to Christ that they've actually turned their mind more to the task than to Jesus. This faithfulness which the Ephesians are expressing, you know, even to the shedding of their blood, uh, is there for the sake of the friendship with Christ. But it's so easy to let that slip and just be dedicated to the principles of Christianity rather than to Jesus himself. It's as if we take our eyes off Christ in order to let them fall onto our to-do list. Well, in order to be faithful, I've got to do this and this and this and this and this. And all of that's true. But it's all for the sake of our friendship with Christ. I think for us it becomes a bit of a sobering examination of conscience. I may well be faithful in my Christian practice, but do I actually do it in love? At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen.
We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.